At the most basic level, DNA determines who we are, what we look like. The texture of hair, the color of eyes, the tone of skin. DNA reveals relationships and tells the story of ancestry. Your mother's nose, grandfather's eyes, your uncle's smile. In the same way your DNA forms who you are at a cellular level, the church has DNA that directs it. Building blocks that make up our identity. Instructions for what is important to us. Our vision, our mission, our values. The DNA of the church is evident in everything we do. Traces of it are left behind in every place we've been, in the smallest, seemingly inconsequential ways. It is replicated as each of us binds together as a family, a family serving Hampton Roads to change the world. And although we have a beautiful diversity in appearance within our family, the core of who we are, our mission, is the same, to win and lead all those within our reach, to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 7 through 11. While you're turning there, let me kind of lay out uh, the landscape of this, uh, of this day for you. As, as we get together, this is Palm Sunday. Y'all know Palm Sunday. Uh, maybe you don't. Palm Sunday, in the history of the church, is the day, the Sunday before Easter. And the church commemorates... Uh, the entrance of Jesus in Jerusalem for the final time. It is Jesus entering the city, and even though the crowd were expecting him to come uh, in resplendent glory as he uh, passed through the gates of Jerusalem as the anticipated king who would come and set them free, Jesus came riding on a donkey. Uh, just just shattering all kinds of expectations. They had heard he was coming. They knew what kind of person he was. They wanted to get close to him. They thought he was going to come and do uh, mighty and miraculous things against Rome. Uh, but God had other plans. So as Jesus enters the city of Jerusalem, we hear the record of how the, the city was responding to him. In Matthew chapter 21, Scripture says, And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from trees. And that's the palm tree business, Palm Sunday. Cut down branches from trees and spread them on the road. And the multitudes who went before and those who followed after cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, who is this? And the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. So here's the picture, the scenario. The people have gathered together and they're jerking off their coats and they're laying them down on the pathway, the cobblestone pathway. So, and, and they're cutting down palm trees and they're laying them on the street so that Jesus would have this red carpet effect as he wa uh, uh, rides the donkey into the city. And Jesus is making his path into the city, and, and all the people are celebrating. It's Sunday, and they're crying out their praise to God. Hosanna in the highest. They're celebrating Jesus who has come. Uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And there is that great Sunday celebration where they're expressing honor to God. But Sunday celebration was very short-lived. 
somewhere between Sunday and Friday, the cries of Hosanna turned into calls for Christ's crucifixion. The Sunday celebration filled with a life, uh, words and praise of honoring God turned to the cries of killing the one that they had once celebrated. And I think that's, I think that's frightening, even more so when you consider it wasn't just the crowd who had a drift in their passion for Jesus. It wasn't just uh, that, that the, the gathering who had celebrated so passionately and then their passion waned. It was also his disciples. All of them. Scattering. Judas betraying Jesus. Peter denying Jesus. All of them scattering. Somewhere between that Sunday celebration and Friday, things changed. And I think what happens for us is similar. We get together and we have this wonderful Sunday celebration where we get together and we sing our praise. I mean, he has called us up out of the grave and I went running out of that grave. I mean, that's celebrating, singing, celebrating what God has done for us through Jesus. And we have that celebration on Sunday where we commit ourselves and we think about honoring God and glorifying God. But what happens when life hits us in the mouth on Monday? What happens when the rug's pulled out from under our feet on Tuesday? What happens when we become detoured and distracted by life and our own desires and, and, and all the things that swirl around us? What happens that causes our passion to honor God to wane? And it does happen. Uh, let, let, let's just be honest. It happens. I'm, I'm in the good God business. You realize that, right? I mean, that, I'm supposed to be doing good stuff, and I'm supposed to be doing God stuff. That's my business. In the good God business, it is so easy to get busy doing good stuff and God stuff that you forget that the reason you're doing good stuff and God stuff is to honor God. You start living for the stuff, and you stop living to bring glory to God. And that's, that's what has to change for us. And all of us have to be concerned about it because all of us, as followers of Jesus, we have this struggle. We have Sunday celebration that somehow shrinks into Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday. We're just, we're just living life. Or, or there are certain pieces of our life that we've dedicated away from God's honor. Certain pieces of our life where we said, God, you can't touch this. Da, 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 da. There's a whole, there are at least two generations that have no idea what I just did. 
I love being in a multi-generational church, but there are at least two generations that have no idea what I just did. I have no idea why people are laughing. You can Google it, MC Hammer, don't touch this. It's hammer time. Anyway, uh, there are certain pieces of our life, perhaps, that we've reserved for ourselves and act like God's not supposed to touch it, but that's, that's not the way life is supposed to be. You see, one of the values of our church is God's glory, and that means that we express honor to God in every area of our life. There's no relationship, no attitude, no emotion that is outside the realm of dedicated to God's glory. And, and this is what Scripture teaches us, but if I could just start at the, at the, at the most personal level, the only way we can find our deepest satisfaction is when we live for God's glory. That, that's how we get it. The way we are satisfied is not by getting stuff the way we want. The way we're satisfied in life is when we live to get stuff the way God wants. To live for His honor, not for ours, not for our pleasure, not for our desires, but for His glory. Are you living for God's glory? If you're not, then you're only living half the life that Christ died to save and give you. We, we find our deepest satisfaction when we live for God's glory. And, and, and we'll see this, and, and I'm getting ready to spout off some passages of Scripture. And, and so take a, take a pencil or, or, or something and, and get ready, okay? And I'll try to say them a couple of times so that you can go back and look them up, Okay. But, but one of the things that we learned last week, and this is easy, last week we talked about Jesus modeling this life of living for God's glory. Jesus modeled it, and we're followers of Jesus, so we need to be following in his footsteps. If he did it, we need to do it. Okay, so Jesus modeled it. John chapter 17, verses 1 through 5. Jesus in this prayer. This is after he's entered into Jerusalem. He spent time with his disciples. It's Thursday. He's getting ready to be arrested. And, and so he's praying and he's getting ready for this, this difficult day, this detour, this thing that he really didn't want to have to deal with. But, but he's going to for it's this purpose that he's come to glorify God. And, and so here's, here's what he prays. Father, John 17, verses 1 through 5. Father. The hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son might also glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given to him. And this is eternal life that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have finished the work you've given me to do. I've glorified you on the earth. Jesus came to glorify the Father. Jesus lived and he died to glorify the Father. He, he gave eternal life to those who were uh, like you and me, separated from God by our sin. He gave eternal life for the glory of God. Today, we understand that Jesus modeled how to live life and he modeled it perfectly by glorifying God. And Jesus modeled it. The church is commanded. We're, as a church, we're commanded to glorify God. First. Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20. Paul's making an argument for the church to be pure, to, to, to live in holiness. And, and here's how he ends up and sums up that argument. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20. He says, and you were bought with a price, pointing to Jesus dying on a cross for your sin. You and I, if we're followers of Jesus, we were bought with a price. For you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Here's how we're supposed to live our lives, for the glory of God. Why? Because, well, we were bought with a price. We've been rescued by God's grace 
because Jesus died in our place on a cross. You skip over a few uh, more arguments in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Paul's proving a different argument. But, but as he proves that different argument, he, he says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whatever you do, whether it's eating or drinking, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. This is the command that we have in our lives. We are to live for God's glory. The church is commanded. Jesus modeled it. But also, it's, it's as we live for God's glory, not for my glory. You see, and boy, we, I know this, this, and I know this gets irritating to some of you because I repeat this often, and I, I understand that, and I'm sorry, but I've got to, okay? And it's not about what makes you happy or about what makes me happy. It's not about what tickles your fancy or tickles my fancy. It's, it's not about what you want or what I want. The key to finding satisfaction and joy in life is pursuing God's glory, God's honor, God's fame, what God wants, what God desires, what tickles his fancy. That's the key. And we all, we all so often miss it. I so often miss it because I become detoured and distracted by the things that I want or the things that I think I need or the things that will add to my honor. So, So today, we need to understand that the way we find joy overflowing in our life is when we live for God's glory. This is John chapter 15. In John 15, Jesus is talking about the vine and the branches. And and he says, God is the vine dresser. I am the vine. We are the branches connected to the vine. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a vine connected to the branch. Uh, He's the vine. We're a branch connected to him. Sorry. Wow. Um, And so so he's the vine. We're the branches connected to him. Now, what, what we see there is that we have our life. The source of life is when we're connected to the vine. If we're disconnected from the vine, what happens to a, 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 a vine that's taken off a vine, uh, a, a branch that's taken off a vine? What, what happens to the branch? It dies. Edie and I were working in the yard uh, Friday. We were uh, pulling up uh, things. Uh, I don't even know what they are. It doesn't matter what they are, but they have a, a root system that goes all over the place, vines crawling up trees and that kind of thing. And we were trying to pull those, uh, those, those vines out. And in order to get them permanently out, you have to go to the root vine. I mean, there's one vine that, that digs down deep into the root system. So we're jerking all these things up. Now, we filled garbage bags uh, full of branches from that one vine. Those, those branches will not live. They're, they're dead. They're wrinkling and crinkling in those garbage bags. They're suffocating right now. Hee, hee, hee. But, but what Jesus is saying in John 15, he says, I'm the vine. He's the source, and, and we need to remain connected to him. And he talks about abiding in him just as he abides in the Father. Now, in John 15, verse 8, he says, uh, he says that... Uh, 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 by this, my Father is glorified when you bear much fruit. 
So we know that Jesus is saying, okay, we want to glorify the Father. How do we glorify the Father? We bear much fruit. What does that mean? Well, we're not really sure. It, it, it's a whole uh, it's part of what we're going to talk about for the rest of the, the, this time. But, but you, we, the goal is to glorify the Father. Jesus said, my Father is glorified when you bear much fruit. Then he adds this. He talks about love and being uh, abiding in his love just as he abides in the Father's love. Down in verse 11, John 15, verse 11. He said, these things I've spoken to you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. So what is he saying? He's saying, well, as we glorify the Father, we find joy that's overflowing. You want to have joy in your life. You want to have joy in your marriage. You want to have joy in your church. It's not by getting your way. It's by doing things God's way. It's by bringing him glory. It's by honoring him with your life. So the question then comes, how do we get there? Well, we need to get there. Uh, there's one author uh, that my uh, oldest daughter uh, sent me a, a, a clip one day. of. Uh, she was reading a book uh, by Henri Nguyen. Uh, that, I don't even know if that's how you say it, but she was reading this book by him, and she sent me a screenshot of one page. And, and as I read it, this, this uh, section uh, just captured my attention. Here's, here's what he wrote. He said, every time you do something for the glory of God, you will know God's peace in your heart and find rest there. Okay, now, now get it. Every time you do something for the glory of God, you will find peace in your heart and rest there. When we live for God's glory, we find peace and rest. We're satisfied. So why is it that we don't live for God's glory? What, what is it, what's the obstacle, the barrier that keeps us from, from living for God's glory 24 hours a day, seven days a week? If this is what's going to satisfy us, if this is what's going to fill us up with joy, if this is what's commanded to the church by God uh, through his word, if this is what, how Jesus modeled life, then what is it that keeps us from doing it? Well, uh, there are a lot of reasons, a lot of obstacles that come in our way. For Peter, as he's writing in 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, he's talking to a group of people that are being... Uh, overwhelmed by opposition. They're, they're facing all kinds of, of, of persecution, and, 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 and their circumstances just aren't that great. So, so that's part of it. For us in, in our world today, in First Norfolk, in your life and in my life, it's busyness. It's, it's other relationships. It's the way I like to do things. I don't know if you're like me. I, I get in a way of doing things, and I like to keep doing those things the way I'm doing those things. And if somebody says, well, you need to do those things different, it makes me a little bit irritable. Is that oversharing? Um, so we, we do, we, we have these things, and, and, and what happens is when we're confronted with God's word and confronted with this core value that I'm supposed to glorify God, that means I, there are some things I'm going to have to reorient in my life. There are things I'm going to have to change. And it's okay for me to celebrate on a Sunday and throw my coat down and cut some palms and lay them on the ground, but... To change my life is a little bit different. To change the way I'm doing, the way I'm thinking, the way I'm feeling. Those are things that can irritate me if I have to change those. But that's exactly where, what we must do if we're going to experience a satisfied life. If we're going to experience that joy that's overflowing, then we need to give ourselves to honor God in every arena of our life, every area of our life, holding nothing back. So, so what Peter does is he says, okay, I'm going to help you. Now, Peter was, a, Peter was a fisherman, not a theologian. I love that about him. A fisherman is always about how do you catch the fish. They're not about the whole philosophy of catching fish. They're about 
let's catch the fish. They're trying to put, a fisherman's trying to put meat on the table. He's not trying to figure out uh, whether or not it is uh, a, 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 a net or a hook. I mean, let's just get some meat on the table. So Peter, that's his personality. He also is a do-it kind of guy. I mean, he's the one that stepped out of the boat uh, on, the, on the Sea of Galilee. He's the one that stepped out of the boat and began to walk on water to Jesus. I mean, he's the guy who just does it. So as he begins to talk to the church, he wants them to understand that I'm going to give you some help that will motivate, inspire, encourage, uh, discipline your life to live for God's glory 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365. I, uh, Peter was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you here. here. Here are some key points that if you put them in the soup of your soul, you will have a wondrous feast for God's glory. Okay? So here's, here's what he writes. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7 through 11. He says, uh, but the end of all things is at hand. Like a boy... Uh, who's been left at home with a to-do list from mom and dad, and they go off, and they say, we'll be back in a little bit. And, and, and he plays the first hour and, and the first hour and a half and the second hour, and about the second hour, he starts getting anxious because he knows mom and daddy are coming home, and he doesn't want the chores left undone. So he begins to scramble and scrape and work and, and just sweat himself silly trying to make sure that those chores are done because the parents are coming home, and he wants to hear mama and daddy say, well done. The end of all things is near. Like a young couple uh, who are uh, anticipating and waiting for the in-laws to come visit. And they, they, they don't know what time they're driving from, from some point A and they're going to get there. And so this young couple, the in-laws are coming. So man, they start, they start scrambling and scraping, trying to make sure that everything's clean. And they have the white glove test that they begin to use all over, the, all over their, their small house. And, and they're, they're vacuuming the floors and they're mopping the kitchen and they're, 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 they're wiping down windows. And they're, they're throwing the trash in the room that they know mama-in-law's never going to go there they're doing all that because they want to make sure that when the in-laws get there there is nothing to bring reproach to that home the end of all things is near Jesus is coming Peter saying we better get ready We need to have an urgency. We need to have urgency about our hearts and about our minds and about our lives. We need to have an urgency to live for God's glory. This is no time to get slack. This is no time to be complacent. The end of all things is near. And if it was true in Peter's day, and it was, and it is more so true in ours, we better take seriously living for God's glory. Stop pretending like we have all the time in the world. This world won't go on forever, and we better be ready when Jesus comes knocking. The end of all things is near. It goes on. Therefore, be serious and sober in your prayers, and above all things, have fervent love one for another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, serve it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies, so that, and here's the key, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So Peter says, here are the things you need to do. And if you do these things, the result, so that, 
The result will be that God will be glorified in all things through Jesus Christ. If we live our lives this way, we know the result will be God's glory. He will be honored by our lives. So, So how do we embrace these disciplines, these principles, these practices? What are they and what what do we need to do? Well, the first one is we need to live a life of focused and faithful prayer. Focused and faithful prayer. Now, if if I want to get closer to my wife, I need to talk to my wife. And that means communicate. That Sometimes we get confused. Talking to my wife is not me telling her what I want for dinner and then walking out the door. Talking with my wife is us sitting together, and as she would say, we're having a quality communication. We're, we're actually expressing to one another uh, hurts, heart, uh, heart desires, uh, fears, anxieties. We're having a conversation. If I, want to, if I want to get to know her so that I can bless her, so that I can honor her, then I need to have communication with her. Some of us are not living for God's glory in every area of our life because we're just not spending time with God in prayer. And when I say prayer, it's it's focused and faithful prayer. It's it's prayer that's serious and sober. This seriousness of prayer is where we have a clear uh, picture of, of God's design and desire given to us through His Word, and we have a clear understanding of how to pursue life because we've spent time with God. It's, it's, it's clarity of thought and mind and life, and, and that clarity leads to a, a prayer life that, that listens to God's heart so that I can live my life according to God's heart. It's, it's not enough for me to say I'm a follower of Jesus and then live any way I want to live. Then we've tried that. All of us, all of us have tried it, and we know it leads to dissatisfaction and despair, darkness, even destruction and devastation. That's, that's what living life according to my design goes. But, but when we pray in a focused and faithful way, what we're doing is we're setting our gaze upon the living God. We're listening to His heart unveiled to us through His Word, by His Spirit, and we're adjusting the way we think according to what he says. We're, we're, we're knitting our hearts with the Father. We're standing with him shoulder to shoulder, heart to heart, face to face in prayer. We're listening to him and, and, and we're doing it so that we can adjust our life to fit his design. It is through prayer that we find the nourishment for our soul that we need. It is through prayer that we find intimacy with God that we need. It is through prayer that we find the inspiration to live for God's glory that we need. It is through prayer that we find the strength to live for God's glory that we need. We must be faithful and focused in prayer every day. I mean every day. So as we give ourselves to to live for God's glory, as we make that commitment, by the way, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have already made the commitment to live for God's glory 24-7, 365. You've, You've already made that commitment. That, 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 was the, that was the deal when you came into a relationship with Jesus. That was the new life that he gave you. That was the new heart he planted inside you. That you would live for God's glory. And so as you've made that commitment, how do we take a step forward tomorrow? How do I, when, when, when life hits me in the nose and, 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 and batters me black and blue tomorrow... 
How can I live for God's glory? Well, I've got to pray for God's glory. Edie and I pray every morning, most every morning. When we get together, we pray. And, and we look at the calendar, and, and I'll say to Edie, honey, this, this week is tough. And, or, or this day, honey, this day is, is, is going to be, it's going to be nasty. It's going, to be, it's going to be that kind of day. I mean, honey, just look at the meetings or look at the moments or look at the, 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 the nonstop aspect of this day. And so how do we respond to that? Oh, God, help Eric honor you in the midst of a difficult day. Before it even hits, oh, God. And it, it's not a prayer, oh, God, make Eric happy today. It's, it's bigger than that. It's more important than that. Oh, God. Help Eric honor you today because if Eric's going to be satisfied with his day, it's not because he's been happy all day. It's because he's honored God. Does that make sense? We need to have focused and faithful prayer, and it needs to be a daily thing. The second thing we see in this passage, not only a life of, 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 of uh, focused and faithful prayer, but also a life of loving one another fervently. In a couple of weeks, we're, I'm going to talk about this, but look at verses, uh, verse 9, 8, and 9. It says, Above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. So as we look at this, I, I just uh, again, we're going to talk about loving one another um, in a couple of weeks, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. I just want to call attention to a couple of things. First of all, the, that picture of loving one another and then the fervently. Loving one another fervently. What does that mean? Well, the picture of fervent, the Greek term there, is, is the picture of someone uh, who works out with weights. You know, if, if you've ever worked out with weights, you work out with weights, and, and so you're, you're using the weights, and, and you're, you're pressing them and pressing them and pressing them, and you're using them, pushing, 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 until you get to the point of muscle failure. You just, oh, you can't. You can't push it anymore. You, you push and push and push till you get to the point of muscle failure. It's, that's what fervent means. Fervent means pushing in, uh, yourself toward love for others, expending all the energy you've got to love others. Just giving yourself out to love others. You love others in that way, it means that you're going to, um, when somebody sins, love covers a multitude of sins, when somebody sins against you, even when they sin against you, um, love will give an answer to that. You, 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 you're, you're going to respond to, uh, to people who don't um, act, behave according to your expectations. You're not going to love them in a less way. Because they don't meet your expectation. That's called manipulation, not love, right? I mean, uh, and we all do this, have done this. Hopefully, we don't all do it all the time. But, but we've all done this. We withhold love from people that don't act the way we want them to act. Have you ever done that? Don't admit it. Don't raise your hand. We'll just say all of us, all of us have done that. You withhold love because they don't behave. That's not the kind of love that that Peter's talking about, that's not the kind of love that leads us to a daily 
honoring of God in every aspect of our life. The kind of love that we need to pierce our hearts and saturate our souls is the kind of love that Jesus has shown us, that kind of love that that gives itself unreservedly, even when we were sinners against God, Jesus died for us. And that's the kind of love we're supposed to have. Our, Our love is not based upon what others say or how they treat us. Our love is based upon how Jesus has loved us. To love one another fervently means that we love others in a sacrificial kind of way. And and love others in a way that that verse 9 says that we are to show hospitality. And and really it's a continual hospitality toward others. It means that we open uh, the doors of our homes for people to come in and we welcome them as family even though they may be strangers. And we're supposed to do that without grumbling. You might want to underline without grumbling because that may be the sticking point for us. It's hard, isn't it? But when we have that outward mindset rather than that inward focus, it helps us bring glory to God. It helps us think not about ourselves but about others so that we might glorify God in our relationships. We're not not keyed in on what's happening for me. We're keyed in on how I can be a blessing. And that leads to the third one. Not only are we to love one another uh, but we also have a life of serving one another. You look at verses 10 and 11. Paul writes, um, As each one has received a gift, serve it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom glory and Dominion and power belong. So, so what's Paul saying, or Peter saying? He's saying, well, we need to serve one another. We, we all, as followers of Jesus, we've been gifted by God's grace with spiritual gifts. You see, every person who is a follower of Jesus, the Spirit of God has indwelt you and has supernaturally enabled you uh, with spiritual gifts. Now, those spiritual gifts are not for your personal um, 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 edification in the sense that, oh, I'm, I'm going to be a big man because I got this spiritual gift. Every spiritual gift is given to be used in service to others, not service to self. A spiritual gift is not given so that you can get more glory. It's given so that the body of Christ may be edified and God gets greater glory. But the primary point that we have in, this, in, in verses 10 and 11 is certainly every single follower of Jesus has a gift. The, the point, though, is to serve that gift toward others. To serve, to give your life in service to others. Again, this is the model that Jesus has set for us. Uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Jesus says, for the Son of Man, talking about himself, the Son of Man has come not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life a ransom for many. If we're going to bring glory to God, then we've got to stop thinking about how are people recognizing me? How are they honoring me? What are they doing for me? And we need to instead think outwardly and upwardly. How can I serve others? How can I, how, God has gifted me and I need to serve others. And, and so Peter combines spiritual gifts in two categories. He's, it's spiritual gifts of speaking, spiritual gifts of serving. He said, whichever one you're using, you need to do it for God's glory. For speaking, you need to make sure that when you speak, you speak as the oracles of God. What that means is 
when you have a conversation, no conversation is a casual conversation. Every conversation will point people to God's honor or away from it. And every conversation that we have, and God helped me to say this and live this in my life, every conversation that we have needs to point people to God's honor. And when we speak, we need to make sure that we speak, not my opinion, your opinion, but God's truth. We live in a world of multiple opinions, and everybody's got one. But we need to be speaking the truth of God. When we serve, we need to serve in such a way that, that, uh, that people aren't looking at us. People are looking at the God of glory. People aren't looking at us. They're looking at uh, the body of Christ. People aren't looking at us. They're not focused on us. They're focused on the honor of God. So whether we're speaking or serving, do everything for God's honor. When we give ourselves... When we give ourselves to pray, to love, and to serve, then we will bring glory to God in every area of our life. I invite you to bow your heads with me now. This morning you've come and God has spoken to you through His Word and for that I am thankful. The question is now not, not merely what this Sunday celebration has done for you, but how do you, how do you take this Sunday celebration and translate it into my daily life? And maybe you need to come to this altar this morning and and begin that journey of focused and faithful prayer where you give yourself first and foremost to God for His glory. God, I have not been focused on Your glory. I have been focused on, on fearfully following after Jesus and live for Your honor and fame. So, God, right now, I pray that I would bring You glory, that You would help me. Some, some of us need to come and gather at this altar and, and, and earnestly cry out to the Lord. Some of us need to come, and we need to commit ourselves to love others the way Jesus has loved us. We need, to, we need to be more fervent in our love for others. We're happy to love those who are like us, but this also includes those who aren't like us. And, and maybe that means the person with whom we work who, uh, who is uh, a little bit obstinate or maybe a little bit rude and certainly doesn't know Jesus. I need to love them enough to, to grab a, uh, an Easter invitation and, and invite them to join me for Easter and for Easter lunch. We, 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 need, to, we need to show not only a love that, 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 uh, that, that cares, but a love that is hospitable and welcoming. We, we, we need to commit ourselves wholeheartedly for God's honor. Maybe you need to come to this altar and pick up some of these cards so that you can invite your neighbors and your friends to join us for Easter weekend, showing that kind of love. Maybe, maybe it just means you need to serve in a way that stops trying to get attention and just focuses on God and His glory. So, Father, however you move in the hearts and the lives of those who have gathered here this morning, I pray that you would speak. By your spirit, through your word, speak. Speak in such a way that we would hear clearly. Speak in such a way that we would respond 
obediently. God, do a mighty work of grace in our hearts and our minds and our lives. I pray that you be glorified among your people in this place right now. God, I pray that you would be glorified in every way. In my life. Now as we worship you, be glorified. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.